destroying the entire universe. Welcome to Radio Free Demos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast broadcasting from Asaph Hall at Lake Voltaire on Demos. Demos. What happens on Demos stays on Demos, unless it moves at over 4.7 miles per hour. Tonight's episode is the business side of Seoul. We'll start out with what we actually concretely, factually know about economics in the Ixundraconis world, which is really not a lot. Well, no, in the sense, are told by the author who sometimes lies. Yes, I think lies is a strong word, but... Who sometimes presents different points of view. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of different aspects to that. First off, the author lies. Uh, second off, the book is kind of broken up between PC-facing and GM-facing material, and the PC fluff tends to be fairly optimistic and positive with a good sense of humor. The GM part is a little more a little more concrete. Thirdly, there's 280-something pages in the core rulebook, and as we've said over and over again, the book is chock full, so chock-full of stuff that there's not room for some of the stuff. The material in the extended book tends to be a lot more darker and more serious, at least in the around page 170 or so block of color text. So yeah, there's about three places in the currently published Corpus of Ix and Draconis that talk about economics. Page 32 of the main rule book, where they introduce the concept of corporations. A little blurb about debt and cogs. And four or five pages of the color text in the back of the extended book. There's just not a lot there. Readers of the Discord forum may also have gotten a few pieces of color and canon light from the game's author. And Sev actually did an interview with Radio Free Demos for an upcoming episode, and that's got a lot of insight into corp versus corp conflict. So we may drop some spoilers from that. Fundamentally, Seoul is governed by free enterprise with very little formal oversight. We can kind of speculate that there's a lot of Marsco oversight because Marsco has been around since the very beginning of time. They have all the records and they've spun off most of the major corporations including IRPF, which is the group that regulates most law and policy. So they have a powerful controlling interest in the universe. Well, IRPF implements it, right? They don't regulate it. Well, in so much they are contracted to do so. This is a place that's kind of hazy. Um, it sounds like there are some policies that are, that are written down and, and formal that are universally agreed on. And some of them are in in governing corp versus corp conflict, both on a small scale and on a ship to ship scale. But the IRPF blurb also calls out that IRPF officers working under different contracts to different megacorps are going to have a vastly different legal and enforcement background, which is one of the reasons IRPF tries to circle them around is to get people exposed to a bunch of different law situations. I feel like maybe we'll get some more insight into this as there's more formal 
material in the lore book and things like that. I believe that within a corporation's jurisdiction, like in a corp town proper, IRPF has the laws of the corporation to enforce. But in border situations, they may operate a little bit more on their own charter. Hard to say. But from what I've been learning about hot zones, IRPF does have some authority to essay fines and the hot zone itself is a negotiated sort of hostility that IRPF holds the toolbox for. More on that later. (laughs) (laughs) The author said it is fact. Well, I'll never say that again. (laughs) I didn't actually believe that. Hi, I wanted to put in an aside here, not to get the last word in, but because we missed a major point that's worth bringing up. We know from conversations in the various playtest games that the world of Vix and Draconis is teeming with small and large corporations. Like Ashtar says somewhere in this episode, it's corpse all the way down. The Starbarks, or Donut Beast on the corner is a corporation, the PCs are probably a corporation, it's Soul's basic organizational unit. But the core books only focus on the big seven megacorps, so we never really get to meet employees at Starbarks, and it's easy to forget about them. When I first started working with the concept of hot zones, I thought they were where the loyalties to the big dogs broke free, like ASR versus Pulse Antipathy, kind of like the World Cup uh, fights, that sort of thing. We'll get to this soon when we talk about hot zones in more detail, but in general, hot zones are small-scale conflict between local corporations, not wars waged between the big seven. Two companies squabbling about local property boundaries, copyright infringement, whatever. It's not TTI and Progenitus hashing it out. The big seven are really above this concept. And IRPF is one of the big seven. They enforce the laws of the local corp town or corp nation, which is likely owned by Mars Co. or one of the other megas. But they supervise the smaller corporations according to their own charter. But they supervise the smaller corporations according to the IRPF charter and the rules as interpreted by the corp town's primary owner. So IRPF would almost never be charged with executing the rules of Starbucks because they serve the local higher power. So we now return you to your regularly scheduled argument. Uh, Manimi? Before I get too far into Ixodraconus canon and speculation, I want to float a concept because I need a thought word. In um, some old comic books that I'm fond of, uh, Animal Man and the Swamp Thing, they've got this concept of the red, which is the place where like all animal life energy kind of flows from into, and the green, which is this place where all plant energy connects and forms this nebulous haze of plant power wrapping around the entire world. So I want to float the black as a term for where credits come and go and where stocks evaporate into when they're spread around this this cloud of relationships and rents and sub rents and penny splitting. And I feel like it must be this beautiful like haze that collects in lakes around small businesses and mighty oceans around megacorps. It it must be absolutely gorgeous. And that's where Richard Pryor got all his money in that Superman movie. The great stock market in the sky, where nothing's ever shorted and the numbers only go up. I'm just having trouble describing where a credit goes when it evaporates from your ledger because of rents and micropayments. Because it goes upwards and outwards and it's spread between the corporation that you're currently residing with and then the corporation that owns that one and everybody that owns rent owes rent to that company. It just it goes into this energy pool. I don't know. Where does a Bitcoin go when you pay someone? I don't. I don't know where they came from in the first place. I think they're a creative fiction. <laughs> they're fiction you can buy a pizza with. Although, um, isn't all currency fiction? I mean, if we're going to go that route, a dollar bill is just a dollar bill, except that we both agree that it has somewhere around a dollar's worth of value, which is 
some fraction thereof of, say, a loaf of bread or a motor car. Well, aren't dollar bills backed by gold? And oh, bi- God, no. And bitcoins are backed by screensavers? <laughs> <laughs> the concept of what is a unit of currency in Exundraconis is kind of hazy as well. It's either the credit or the vector, which, depending on whose ledger book you're looking at. Dollar bills are backed by the U.S. government saying this is a dollar bill and Bitcoins are backed by melting video cards. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and air conditioning bills. <laughs> we know that corporations are freely and publicly traded, even megacorps, even Marsco, and it is theoretically possible to buy them out. It's highly theoretical in some cases. I'm not sure that a share of stock actually does anything because the rules rather specifically state that shareholders do not have the ability to elect New board members cannot vote down the president. We don't even know that they really have any say in governance of the corporation, which seems to be predominantly in the pause of people that are better qualified than you to do that. But that is modeled in today's Wall Street stock market. You do have two different types of shares. You've got the common stock, which does allow voting shares. And then you've got the preferred or the premium, I forget the exact name, that generally has a higher payout, but has no actual stay in the company itself. Yeah, I kind of feel like the the world of the ledger is mostly operating like preferred shares. And there the, we go. The payout is, is good enough to survive on, despite the fact that it's being slowly whittled away by microtransactions. And it may be that when you start doing things like rolling finance, you're starting to get into the world of... Quantum finance. <laughs> well, the world of, of corporate decisions and actual trading and taking... Uh, things in your own hands. I was going to say the world of numbers I can count by my digits. Yeah, there's pretty small numbers. For the most part, the ledger system seems to pass dollars kind of upwards and outwards and into the fog. I don't know where I was going with that sentence. The point is money goes away and then you don't have it. Yeah, that's absolutely the point. I I think that there's a world of corporate governance that's how corporations protect themselves from each other. Like the more stock shares they have of their opponents, the more they're able to protect themselves in corp versus corp conflict or the less likely it is that conflict will occur anyway. And that's maybe more where the uh, common share idea comes into play. People pass their voting upwards to whatever corporation they're working with in favor of more comfortable chairs and better donuts. Cake and circuses. Yes. There are three basic currencies or currency systems in Exundraconis. There's the credit, which is what all game transactions take place in. Uh, there's the ledger, which is its own kind of hazy microtransaction environment. I'm curious to see how the ledger translates into 2.0, where there isn't a finance stat block anymore. And finally, there's the vector, which is its own form of currency. The vector is the backbone for the credit system. And I think in many ways is the unit of power and finance that the mega corporations trade in as opposed to credits. I don't know that I draw too hard a distinction between the ledger and the credit as balancing the ledger is one of the primary trickle income sources of PC vectors and presumably most, if not all vectors. Yeah, it seems to just have the effect of maintaining all abstract transactions. I kind of assume that vectors who are working for the corporations, vectors who have quote unquote day jobs, would be paid through ledger share, and then that becomes their salary. The PCs would, and the mercenaries in general, would be a little bit more of a step away by actually getting contract payouts instead of payment to the ledger or strengthening their ledger. I, 
I would see that in in this economy, the contract payouts would be more of an outlier and not the bulk of where the economy transfer of wealth actually happens. Well, I think I may have said the wrong thing, saying the ledger was separate from the credit. It's not. It's just a more abstract version of the credit. There is an economy that's more underground that is shared by people that are off the grid, the grottos, the exonymphs, probably some blips. A lot of people that may not have been able to purchase into the, the ledger system when they were born and or created may have to go in a cash and credit card system that, oh, those poor people. <laughs> some text that kind of looks into this says that vectors, no, Kogsunis. Kogsunis are not citizens of any particular corp and they can't officially accept uh, payment by contracts. And exonymphs have no economy stat block. They're missing an entire stat block because they can't buy into the ledger system. There's some very tangible side effects of the ledger system and being locked outside of it. I think there's an entire economy that isn't really well described and is really hard to relate to. I think that's fairly relatable. I mean, if the entire world functions off of Apple Pay and the amount of arbitrary dollars in your Apple account, but you, for some reason, have no Apple account and no iPhone, you you are not a functioning member of that economy. You cannot accept payments because people can point their iPhone at you and push a button and nothing happens. There's nothing to accept it. Maybe a very challenging character would be someone that was born on a seriously isolationist grotto like Longbow or something like that and had to integrate with the world without the backing of a ledger. Hmm. Ledgers, ledgers can actually be sold and traded. It just doesn't happen very often and it's very hard to, quote, regulate, unquote, that. Absent certain overarching morality and ethics laws everything can be sold and traded it feels like the ledger is kind of the nearest thing that the exodraconis universe has to actual taxation this little kind of ding and, and whittling away of your finances constantly as you move from place to place and that's money that goes into the just the tapestry of the world it just evaporates see that's interesting that you bring that up because for the u.s audience we tend to have a concept of taxation as income tax or land tax, property tax, massive once a year, we're going to take a chunk of whatever it is. Now, we also have the sales tax, which is a minor hit on most transactions. But if you flip over to, say, some of the more European, you start looking at a value added tax, where this is not a endpoint transactional of the final product to the consumer that gets taxed. Every step of Every process, whether it's transport, whether it's industrial, whether it's commercial marketing, anywhere where the product has added value, the increase in value of that core product incurs a tax to the government. Uh, that becomes a much more transactional taxation top to bottom across the market. Oh, there's there's no difference in, in America, as far as I know, except from your specific position. If you're in retail or logistics, you know that everything is nickel and dimed, every hotel transaction, every every order you place wholesale that comes in, it's all got its own layers of tax. So I think it's just a matter of, of where you're sitting and what side of the lawn looks greener. I disagree with you on that point, but I don't know enough about the U.S. economy compared to where a value-added tax dings to really want to commit to an argument there. I don't think I have enough of a perspective. I don't think we have enough of a perspective to really judge this on a sort of international level just to re reiterate what you just said. So the question then comes up, what is the ledger? 
uh, every vector has this percolating program that does stock trades for them. And it's kind of a combination social security net and residual trickle income that can keep their heads afloat, keep their heads above water. It's where you get points to put into your physical stats. <laughs> and that it is, it is everybody's dumb stat, at least at our table. Yeah. There's, a part of the ledger story that I feel falls into the camp of can't actually be true. About 300 years ago, the corporations were struggling with that the credit as a unit of currency was fundamentally unstable because it was based on fiction rather than any concrete absolute value. It so, certainly wasn't backed by the gold standard. No, no, there's not. No, absolutely. no they, they just printed up tons of gold. It's, hey, it worked great. <laughs> So in the story, a 17-year-old ferret invented the ledger on a dare. Distrib- was, it, was this the, the eponymous Bobby Ledger? <laughs> <laughs> I have my next character name. <laughs> <laughs> distributed, to, uh, distributed it through social media and Solnet. And the ledger was quickly adopted by the megacorporations. Ultimately, the vector population itself provided the backing for the currency, and it became stable. Amen. So Ashtar... Too good to be true? Far too good to be true. It's a wonderful sounding PR marketing type story. Certain to uh, get behind the entire populist feel of vectors in general. No way it happened like that. One of the things I want to look at a little later on is some laws that our 20th century economists broadly agree are basic principles governing the economy. The idea of the ledger plays well with them in terms of what it means to be a subsistence worker and looking at vector society in sort of a feudalist view. We'll get to that eventually. There is a very complicated system of rents in place in Exentriconus. Very little is actually owned. It's all kind of leased out and traded. The uh, book says, let's see, page 32. Everything's from page 32. At the top of the heap is the corp that runs the corporation itself to whom all others pay rent for the privilege of doing business. Money flows up, it flows down, ultimately going upwards to the top landlord who runs the corp town. And I suspect that it goes up one level higher than that to the group that more or less owns the planet, which is inevitably Marsco. So any credit that flows upwards is shared with the corporation or minicorp or Starbucks or small business that your vector in question works for. And that's passed up to that group's landlords, which are probably passed up towards the borough of the corp town or to the corp itself or whatever franchise group that corporation is working with. And that gets passed up and that gets passed up. And so everything is part of this nebulous haze of credits (laughs) moving upwards, outwards, downwards and around. It's beautiful. In all that, there's a certain give and take between the vectors and their employers and or their landlords and or their owners. Uh, page 32 says, by the act of living there in a corp town, all vectors have a piece of the pie. So presumably their ledger and their work creates a sort of back and forth investment between employer and employee. And everybody grows from it in some small way. Most corporations have had to serve as both representative and employer and as such have become more accountable to their employees. The corps that ignored the needs of their citizens were removed, often violently, until they got the message that certain behaviors were not going to be tolerated. Somewhere out in the big empty is a corp waiting for a citizen like you, and they're all eager to bring in newcomers, if only to sap them from their enemies. There is an aspect of owning a vector's or owning a vector's contract or renting out space and life to a vector that 
funds the corporation that does it, but creates a reciprocal relationship between them and the people that build build their base. And that's kind of where the proxy voting share idea might feed in. This is this is not written down in canon, but it's it's kind of this world of speculation for me. <laughs> you see, though, you've got it all wrong. You're looking at it from the wrong way. As you said, the money, the credits constantly flow upwards. They flow upwards through taxation. They flow upwards through microtransactions. They flow upwards through rent. What you don't see is the money flowing back downwards, which is required for an actual cycle of credits. The, what, what you're not seeing, that the secret is that the ledgers simply create credits. It's all digital. They're all numbers. It just increments them up when you need more credits. All of that money, all of that power then flows upwards into the corp, into the megacorp, and into the shadowy CEOs at the top that rule the solar system. I'm not entirely certain if you're being totally serious or not. I really can't tell. I don't think you're entirely off base if you... Wait. (laughs) If you're being serious, there are elements I agree with. If you're joking, I can't tell. I think that there's evidence that the pie grows with every vector that's born, and thus they are the backing of the ledger. I don't think money is created necessarily, except as the population expands, as the workforce expands. Uh, Otherwise, the concept of money starts to lose meaning. In the United States economy money tends to get concentrated in the hands of a very few people and held there generationally. It doesn't flow away. But HSD tends to strongly encourage people to spend everything they have and not save. And therein lies the difference. In the 20th century America, the top of the top, the 1% of the 1%, still is running the rat race, still understands the value of money. By 27, whatever vectors, especially at the upper echelons, upper, upper echelons of the mega corporations have evolved past a scarcity environment. They understand that they are going to get their money and that money doesn't even matter at the level that they are. They are living the post-scarcity life. So to them, it simply does not matter if large chunks of their material wealth just vanish every month. Because the next month, you're going to have all of that upward flowing money coming right back into their coffers. So I feel like there's a lot more churn and a lot less savings and money being locked away in, in this world, which which makes sense to me. Things being constantly in motion, things being sold and purchased and moved upwards and downwards. That kind of cycling is what keeps soul economy moving. Well, that type of cycling is what keeps <laughs> any economy moving, especially if you're looking at the 20th century today, the amount of times that you can borrow, leverage, debt leverage, transfer of debt, wealth, blah, 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 and spend the same dollar over and over without actually buying anything. Every one of those is a transaction. Every one of those becomes counted at a certain level, and every one of those potentially incurs a certain amount of tax. Getting into kind of the world of speculation, it really seems like all of the churn and conflict in Ixodraconus is really purposefully put there. In, in the beginning, uh, when God created Mars, when Marsco was first created, it was the biggest player in space. It was built up from three, three corporations that fused together to create one master corporation. And for the next 200 years or so, it was really probably the main player, not necessarily the only player. There's stuff we can't see going on that isn't recorded in the rule book. But it wasn't until like 150 or 200 after, after man that... Marsco spun off two corporations, uh, ASR and Pulse. 
it, I don't think it's entirely unreasonable that it created two corporations that currently hate each other. These these are siblings that are still fighting to this day, you know, body and brain, et cetera, et cetera, flesh and machine. There is no reason to spin off those corporations except to create crisis. And I think that the churn, the shadow wars, the hot zones, all that stuff that makes economics a plot point is there intentionally in, in the world of HSD. And not from Pierce, but from the, the powers that be. I can't prove that. So I'm going to take it down a notch now and talk about some fundamental economic laws that are generally agreed on as, quote, fact, unquote, that they're really stretching the word fact a lot. If you sit down at a table for either poker or business and you can't look around and see the dupe, you're the dupe. And we'll get to that one. I think that's that's uh, <laughs> Blue Beetle's law. Yeah, actually, in the movie we just watched, the, the, the Wiz, I think Michael Jackson has a song about this. Can't, the, and the three laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> yeah, you can't win. Can't break even, can't get out of the game. There's a host of rules that economists use to kind of predict and guess and second guess. And I'm not listing them all because some of them are boring or involve graphs or aren't terribly fun. These are just ones that seem to help open up the world a little bit in terms of exodraconistness economy. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. <laughs> you got to know when to ditch the GM's carefully prepared scenario. And Run the other way. We're going somewhere else. <laughs> Wagner's Law. As the economies expand, public expenditure expands and with it income. This basically boils down to over the long term, a progressive economy will build a strong social safety net and it will get stronger over time because people vote for laws that favor themselves. The welfare state tends to expand. Given that Exundraconis has a fairly strong social net that will support people even when they are trying not to work, it's almost impossibly homeless in this environment. I think this law tends to reflect vector society pretty well. Marginal costs become far more encompassing. Yeah, and the corporations are required to invest in their uh, inhabitants, employees, subjects. There's a throwaway line that is almost everything I know about HSD economics, which is that um, in the past, some corporations tried to tax their subjects into oblivion. This is how the the uh, corporate state worked in um, 18th, 19th century Terra. People would be given their wages in chits, and those chits would be redeemable at the company store for overpriced merchandise. And you were trapped in this corporate economy that you simply could not escape, like a financial black hole. In Ix and Draconis, people have tried that. Corporations have tried that. They were destroyed because companies were able to sweep the debt out from underneath them. And in doing so, liberate the populace and, I believe take control of the stock shares and voting ability that those people carried with them. Creating debt creates liability for the corporation. That's written into the, into the world. I don't know how though. It's kind of, it's just, it's just like one throwaway line in a write up on cogs of all things. The Varian rule, look at what rich people have today in 10 years, the middle middle income people will have it. And in 20 years, the poor people will luxury features tend to become standard over time. And the flip side of this, I think, is the world of innovation that Exodraconis tries to foster, that companies are always trying to build new luxury products, new goods, create scarcities and wonderful new luxury items to drive the economy. Kind of flip side of the same thing. It's that churn that the world strives towards. If I want to get somewhere, I can have a flying car. But if I want to shoot someone, I still have to use a pistol. 
Well, yeah, but the where's pi- your innovation there? The pistols are really pretty. I mean, they're streamlined. They wrap around your hand. It looks really nice. They come with matching earrings. 700 years and we still haven't invented a better slug thrower. Oaken's Law. For every 1% increase in unemployment, the production is reduced by 2%. I think this is kind of the foundation for the welfare state that Saul has, that you need to keep people alive and marginally engaged in the economy just by living. And in doing so, there is a steady and stable production and a steady and stable backing for the credit. Unemployment lowers production and a good workforce creates a strong economy. This is really exciting, I know. (laughs) The bureaucracy is expanding. Do you meet the expanding needs of the bureaucracy? How that relates to that quote, though. I don't think it does. It does. It does? It does. Because when you talk in terms of scale, there's always going to be loss as you grow. You you create inefficiencies. Growth is not just a linear line. Hmm. Two very related rules. These are both from the 1830s France, I believe. The law of rent and the iron law of wages, what these boil down to together, and these are proven, disproven, argued, they're they're good theories that explain a lot, but they aren't perhaps true laws. Who knows? This is all kind of subjective anyhow. The cost of living will, the money charged for rent and kind of by extension, the cost of living in HSD can never meaningfully exceed survival wages because if it does, one picks up and leaves and moves to competition. That's a very stripped down version of the law of rent. The iron law of wages suggests kind of a dark opposite of that, which is that wages will generally tend to sink towards subsistence. So the average pay for their working schmuck is just enough to keep their heads above water. So these kind of boil down to flip sides of each other. You will make enough money to survive. If you don't, you'll leave. But the money you make will not be much more than survival wages. Most people argue against the cynicism of these saying that, well, innovation is a thing. People will strive to be better than the Joneses. Competition. Companies will pay more because satisfied workers are more productive and more innovative. And those are all strong arguments. These are, again, very cynical rules that show a point but aren't necessarily fact. But given the huge number of people in Marsco, Corp Towns, and presumably some others that can exist at a very low quality of life forever... I think it might go a long way to explaining how their society might operate and where its baseline might be. But again, what you imply is a low quality of life for a vector. Still probably pretty good. That's part of the Varian rule, too, uh, that the quality of life and luxury goods tend to become the status quo later on and the, the norm. The quality of life for a vector barely making it is a lot better than the truly poor in America today. And one more thing that is not on the Wikipedia list of economic laws is the law that was uh, promoted by Blue Beetle on the internet. If you're not paying for it, you're not the customer, you are the product being sold. And again, very foundational idea in HSD economics. Oh, I think 700 years of market innovation has absolutely created Vectors who will both pay for the opportunity to be a product. Yes, I will slap company logos all over my body. And pay for the privilege. We could briefly talk about Marsco itself at this point. The um, company has existed since the beginning of Vector Society and created Vector Society in many ways. Promoted its trends through Pulse and technology through ASR. Controlling its lives through medical technology they created. Uh, Marsco is at the center of the universe. And 
possibly provides the foundational structure of the financial world. We don't know who developed the ledgers. We only know that the ledgers subroutines are kept in locked vaults somewhere, probably not in a spyglass town. Uh, we know that Marsco is a part of every vector because it's the first purchase that their ledgers tend to make. So everybody's invested in Big M at some level. And most of the mega corporations that exist now are spinoffs of Marsco. And therefore, Marsco likely owns controlling interests in them even today. Going back in time, ASR and Pulse are both spinoffs of Marsco. Progenitus is a spinoff of Spyglass, which is a Marsco subsidiary. And IRPF was formed originally from Marsco's internal police force, which became kind of the spacefaring police in, I guess, the year 2300, 2400, that evolved into IRPF. There are only two corporations, uh, two megacorps that exist today that are not Marsco subsidiaries or grandchildren. TTI, which is a newcomer that was created around an upstart disruptive technology. And Lumen, which is a newcomer created from an upstart uh, disruptive technology. There's probably a theme there. One other megacorp exists. It's dead. Uh, that's Genotype. Genotype was owned by mice and rats and is gone now. It seems that a lot of the corp-to-corp -corp conflict is staged in such a way that it, advent that it advantages the megacorps um, and ultimately exists to kind of wipe out these smaller groups. So the low, low level businesses like your Starbucks and your home donut stores are probably going to exist in an uneasy equilibrium, but anything that's big enough to actually get into a scrap will eventually end up as megacorp fodder. All of this, I think, feeds Marsco. The trend towards monopolization is the dominating force of the market. And the only real protection against this is that Marsco doesn't really seem to care that much since it effectively owns the universe and makes money off of almost every transaction in a small or large way. The incentive Marsco has to really flex its griffin muscles is, is kind of light. Sphinx muscles, I got that wrong. When you look at the concept of subsidiary companies and spinoff companies, the way they tend to operate is that a corporation will butt off a work group that's particularly able to handle some sort of technology or process or function. It simply makes more sense for them to operate as their own business unit. Perhaps they just evolve in that way, or perhaps the difficulty maintaining multiple command groups is too strong. So when the subsidiary is spun off, some, most, or all of its stock is held by the parent company. So again, is well, there's been 600 years of drift in ASR and Pulse's uh, various stock portfolios. It's likely that Marsco is still going to hold a very large portion of those. In the extended rulebook, uh, page 175-something, we get Marsco's kind of philosophy, which is, quote, you're going to like this, Ashtar, a message of freedom, personal liberty, and the right not to be contained and controlled by stagnant powers that could not keep up with their population. A business mission of freedom. That's a bit wordy. wordy. They could really focus that on point. Well, it's not a mission statement. It should be. <laughs> I think it's more of a of a, a guiding philosophy, a, a, uh, a roadmap to success. That vision can be refined. <laughs> we will control you. You will not control us. No, too cynical. 
Well, and and Exindricunus Vector Society does promote industry and progress and innovation. I think that it's it's not well, it may not be darkly competitive. That depends on what what side of the uh, blood feud you're on that week. But that is kind of its origin story: is they escaped Terra to move to this brave new world of Mars, and um, I mean that's that's in their background. And perhaps it does feed into Vector Society now. I think innovation is still a strong thing. People are free to find their own ways and to uh, get into whatever trouble they can afford to get into, as long as they can either pay the powers to be afterwards or successfully escape them. People are free to do whatever they can afford. True freedom. (laughs) One place where HSD's economy and society is really radically different from ours is the level of connectivity of data sharing of the individual. I think it's in the book somewhere, or possibly Ashtar said this, I can't remember what's canon and what's my game master anymore. Uh, that being born as a vector, oh, no, it's in the, it's an extended. Being born a vector is like signing your entire life away in a terms of service agreement. Uh, from day one, your data is going to be shared, your existence is going to be shared with everybody, with every business you've ever dealt with, and will continue to be so at, at, until your death, and likely beyond. You see a group of vectors moving uh, through the Vale, which is a nice high-end shopping district. They've just wrapped up a nice juicy contract with Marsco. This is PCs that are on the move and successful after fighting giant alligators in the swamps of Venus or whatever. Perhaps today, the party's young media star, her reflection in the smart glass window that she's walking past shows her wearing uh, some of the latest fashions. And she really, really looks good wearing Pulse's latest smart suit. In the restaurant they're going to, unless it's a deliberately retro restaurant, food preparation is an exercise in programming, not stoves. And little details like hates olives, watching their weight, and can always buy the cherry cobbler afterwards are going to show up on the tablet your waiter's holding. So he's already offering you your favorite drink, which is a Bamberg Gin Slinger. And back home in Venus, your home tavern gets a small fraction of the credit from the data share royalties because you just order your favorite drink half a solar system away. So wherever you go as a vector, you leave this trail of data that kind of precedes you and tails you. And all of your transactions can be reflected later. If you've just take on a new lover, their preferences for lingerie are going to show up the next time you look into a smart screen. <laughs> the world knows. The world knows who you are, who you associate with, what you've done, and it precedes you. And kind of knowing that your entire world is a hundred times more responsive than Amazon's best ads are today, it's it's an interesting world. It's a world that customizes its experience based on who you are and what you've done recently. It's, it's kind of neat. Whatever your preferences are, the world knows already. That probably would not be a strange world at all to many of the children that are just now really starting to achieve teen, late teen, currently. Yeah, I feel like we're seeing the edges of it, but taken like one exponential level further, where the businesses you go to kind of predict what you want because they have access to an entire solar system of responses to you already. And all of your transactions are recorded in your ledger to some degree or another, or most of them. That might actually give a huge amount of power to somebody from a grotto that doesn't have this kind of rich backlog of data associated with them. It's almost a superpower. I don't show up at Windows. Maybe this is a place where Exundraconus does or does not overlap with Cyberpunk so much. In Cyberpunk, you have the concept of being zeroed, which is you're not part of the information grid as much or you're untraceable. And that might be... Well, actually, that's the state that the uh, exodus find themselves in. They are not part of the transaction network. They can't take on contracts. 
I mean, you say that, and to a certain extent, I agree. But to counterpoint, if you're active online at all currently, you don't have to be on Facebook for Facebook to put together a pretty freaking good shadow profile of you, just of the places that you've been on, the impressions that you leave, the cookies and trackers they're going through, the different browsers that you're using. The massive amount of information of your browsing habits and preferences can be put together without ever actually signing into anything. That's probably true, but if you're one of those weirdos that doesn't have a ledger or doesn't have a toggle, then kind of the fundamental like silver cord that connects all those things, those two elements aren't there. So I mean, your toggle isn't your identity, but it contains it. That's your your universal identification chip. Your ledger is not all of the credits you have, but it is a sum total of all of your transactions. And it's possible that so many things depend on those two common elements that not having one or the other or both will make you into some sort of different life form entirely. See, and that would actually be my point because same thing. If you're online and you're just moving around and doing your thing, you don't ever have to log into Facebook or go to Facebook for them to have that shadow profile. So you may not have a ledger, but if you're moving through the community, moving through a corp town, I imagine that facial or body recognition definitely exists. Surveillance cameras or surveillance technology is going to be everywhere. You don't even have to have a corporate surveillance. Um, I'm sure the vectors alone will be happy to stream all of that on more or less a nonstop basis from various smart surfaces, smart classes, or yeah. hollow projectors, whatever. Or, or your devices. The, the devices, the smart surfaces themselves will probably have some sort of visual recognition to pick up on your responses to the advertisements to better serve you, of course. You can feed all of that together to track movements. You can follow that movement map to track purchasing habits, even if you're not using credits or LinkedIn currency. Creating a shadow profile of someone in this type of connected environment is going to be trivial. One element that I want to pick up on when we talk about um, hot zones later on is there's a... Uh, concept called the feral state or feral city which is an area that laws have really fundamentally broken down in and it's able to maintain its own government and its internal economy but it's really totally disconnected from the world and terrorism can breed there very easily because it's isolated from law enforcement agencies in these circumstances the first thing that breaks down is communication with the outside world so looking at the hot zones one thing that's likely to be absolutely terrifying there is the disconnect is if communication services are disconnected which is nerve-wracking for us with our cell phones, but when you're used to this constant pulse and heartbeat of information, is going to be completely disorienting to, to vectors and let them get away with a lot of fun stuff. Reflected completely in reality, 20th century Terra, you absolutely saw the more autocratic governments when experiencing periods of social unrest. The first thing they did was block and unplug the internet. Yep, yep, yep. One kind of funny tangentially related thing from my life is I didn't get my social security number until I absolutely had to. So until I got into college at 18, I did not have a social, <laughs> which someone asked me what my social was. And I like, uh, I don't I don't I don't have one. And their response was, is that even possible? So, so it's you, you, you can go off the grid in certain small ways. Uh, I've been working on some thought experiments lately in various articles, and I just want to kind of float them. Uh, what happens to the stock and shareholders of a dead megacorp? Are, are there still stock certificates and things from Genotype, for instance? There's a lot more megacorps than that. But the only one we really know about is, is Genotype at this point. What happens to the god that has no followers? Well, I think that's a fair analogy. In a, um, a 
a standard corp in this world that we're in, if it goes away, it goes away. The stocks have no value. They still exist for a little while, but there's no transactional value at all. So the next time there's some sort of stock refresh, they're just gone and of no use. But a megacorp is more analogous to a nation than a small business. Uh, it's a nation with followers and possibly even things like worshipers. So, yeah, when a when a megacorp dies, if those ancient wolves that still have all of their certificates and stock shares and things like that are holding on, is the megacorp truly dead? Can it die? I, I personally believe that uh, board members are immortal in HSD because there's no reason they shouldn't be. And uh, those shares could have a very long time. Which is kind of tied to it is I'm not sure what happens when someone dies to their stock shares. I would suggest that the very compelling reason why board members would not be immortal is that there are a very, very large number of non-board members who would really like their chair at the table. Biologically immortal <laughs> is not the same as practically immortal. For most people in Ixundraconus, most vectors, the end of their life is a time to spend a lot of money in a hurry. It's a bucket list theory. They go on that last cruise they've never been to. They go to Venus. Um, or if they can't, they go to Recall. No? Nothing? No. That's the, the premise of Total Recall. It's like, have you ever wanted to climb the pyramids of Mars, but now you're over the hill? Ah, okay, Recall. I heard, you heard Recall, and I was trying to place what oh, you said sorry. there. Is that a place? Um, yeah, but they, they burn up all of their money in the last like 10 or 15 years of their life uh, during a time when their ledger is set to like retirement income. Now, a vector's life cycle in an ideal structure is pretty well established by Pulse's treatments. They know more or less how long they're going to live, give or take five or 10 years, and they can kind of plan it out to where their fiscal candle burns out at the same time as their bodies do. So... It's distinctly possible that vector culture does not value savings at the end of life, and there really isn't inheritance. That would kind of fit with the general rental not owning uh, angle that vector society tends to take. You wouldn't be inheriting your mansion. You might inherit the fixed rent rate of your mansion, but you wouldn't actually get the property. There just isn't a large property. But there are. there's going to be some legacy in terms of stock shares, ledger shares, and that sort of thing that might be passed on if someone's parents were unusually responsible or didn't go on a crazy end-of-year, end-of-life uh, binge. I assume most of that gets claimed by, like, it goes into the financial black and just goes away because it doesn't make sense for Saul to really value inheritances very much. That's kind of counterintuitive in an in a economy that really wants churn more than anything else. So during the course of researching for this article, I found this wonderful internet site full of many, many, many financial terms and business terms. One of the more fun ones was the concept of a, quote, hedge dog, unquote, which is a small, doomed-to-failure, single-use corporation that's created to bury bad debt and uh, make it explode in a big blast with a six-month to two-year fuse. Sometimes the people that run a hedge dog into the ground are in on the joke and they know that it's going to explode. And during that time, they have this very limited window of being able to move extremely lightly and quickly and responsibly and rack up tons of debt and then drop it successfully on other people. And when the debt bomb explodes, they are nowhere near the explosion. As often as not, though, uh, a hedge dog is staffed by patsies. We'll, we'll call them PCs who are 
cheerfully optimistic. They're being told by the corporation that spun them off that they are the next big thing, the bright star on the horizon. They're given a lot of money to work with and a lot of rope to hang themselves with. And this group of bright-eyed optimists that are being fed stories of their own future success is going to slowly go into debt based on promises of a shiny tomorrow. And when the debt bomb explodes, we plowed six feet deep in endangered servitude. But either way, it's a fast-moving business story that I think really would let PCs shine in a, in a fun way. Wait a second. Have you been reading my campaign notes? I know that we will explode eventually. Spectacularly. But as we're not getting any steady stream of uh, working capital, I don't think we're a hedge dog yet. I think that's all the time we really have for this topic, even though it is perhaps the fundamental platform the game is built on. You can only run with it so long. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to our little podcast and catchy outro line. Intro music is Future Club and outro music is Chronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not-for-profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, RadioFreeDemos.com, that's D-E-I-M-O-S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan-driven content, and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. While we're on the subject of futile, fatalistic end times, consider that board member for a moment, though. Consider you are biologically immortal. You will live forever. And every hour of every day from now until the unforeseeable future is spent beating off hordes after hordes and waves of beating, upcoming want-to-be board members. Beating away. Be, be, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. Good catch on that. I'm leaving that one in. Don't leave that one in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just won't finish that thought, so you have nothing to leave in. Oh, no, it was a good thought. <laughs> I'm not getting that one back. <laughs> you're not getting that one back. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry I interrupted you. I just couldn't help myself. No, you're fine. I didn't even notice it.